Hey guys, Dr. Sugarman again. Welcome back to the podcast. I decided to go back to a toxicity again. Uh, we're going we're to do lily toxicities today. So we're going to talk about like who do they affect, what kind of lilies are toxic, uh, what part of the lily is toxic, some clinical signs we might see, uh, how do we diagnose it, treatment, and um, are there lily toxicities that don't cause kidney failure? All right, so let's jump right in here. So first of all, lily toxicity, uh, who do who exactly does lily toxicity affect? So this is really interesting because lily toxicity, it only affects cats, like cats only. That's it. I know we talked about like the dogs in salmon poisoning, how it, you know, it's not just dogs that salmon poisoning affects. Like it, we talked about bears. I think it was fox was another one. Um, but really with lily toxicity, it's cats and that's it. It's kind of crazy. They think at one point, like somebody thought maybe like a meerkat maybe have had a lily toxicity, but nobody ever has been able to say for certain, yes, like a meerkat had gotten into a lily and had lily poisoning. Never been proven. So as far as we know, only cats. That's it. And so what part of the lily is toxic? Everything. Literally, if it's on the lily or touching the lily, it's toxic. Right? So the leaf is toxic. So if they bite the leaf, like just biting the leaf, not even ingesting the leaf, just biting the leaf is toxic. The petal, the stem of the leaf, the flower, the pollen of the leaf, like they don't even have to like ingest the leaf. They could put their nose on the pollen, like stick their nose. You know how like cats like to stick their nose in everything, right? If they like, stick their nose in the pollen of the of the flower that's in there even that is toxic if they drank the water so if like you put your lilies in a vase right and let's say like all the lilies die you take the vase out and or you take the lilies out of the vase toss the lilies away the cat never touched the leaves never touched the flowers never touched anything but then the cat came and drank the water afterwards. Even that will cause a lily toxicity. It is like that potent. And when do we normally see these things? A lot of times we're going to see these, these lily toxicities like during Easter time, right? Because people go and they like buy all these bouquets of flowers and they'll have like a wide variety of things um, because it'll have like a wide variety of different types of flowers and then there'll always be like a lily that's in there or um these will be out in the garden because people will have lilies out in the garden and then cats go indoor outdoor they're indoor outdoor cats and then they come back and they just vomit up a piece of leaf or something and then they'll suddenly have these lilies that are in there but any part of that lily is potentially a toxic part you know a toxic piece and which lilies are actually toxic? So technically almost every lily is toxic. We'll kind of get into that, but which ones are like the most toxic at this point? So the worst ones, like the worst lily toxicities are going to be like the true lilies is what they, we call them. But these are like, there's quite a list. So if they fall under the genus of lilium, that is a true lily. So these are the Easter lilies, stargazer lilies, 
um, Asiatic lilies, Japanese show lilies, Oriental lilies, rubrum lilies, tiger lilies. If anybody's out there thinking Peter Pan right now, that's like the one thing that pops in my mind every time I think of tiger, tiger lily. And wood lilies. Like those are like our true lilies. There's also day lilies. They don't fall under the genus of lilium. They're, I'm going to butcher this, uh, hammeraculus. I believe that's what they call it. I think Dr. Larson will probably correct me on that one. Uh, but those are day lilies. Those are also a true type of lily as well. Um, these are also very toxic. Now, what, what part, like, what is the toxin? Right. It's like, if we're talking about like they are toxic, every part of it is toxic. So what is, what is the toxin that is causing this? Uh, we don't know. Nobody knows. So all we know is that what we think happens is that the cats eat this lily, whatever part of the lily, and that their own body creates a metabolite. So meaning that they eat it and that their body creates a waste product, basically. Like it just creates this bad waste product that then goes to the kidney and causes kidney failure. Um, so it's not necessarily that the plant has it in the plant that causes it, because if that was the case, you would assume that every animal that ate it would go into kidney failure or would have some sort of problem, right? If a dog ate it, they should also go into kidney failure. If the rabbit ate it, they should also go into kidney failure. But rabbits eat these things all the time. They don't go into kidney failure. So why is it that specifically cats go into kidney failure? Well, there are, are different things about cats and dogs and rabbits and and squirrels and stuff that, you know, that we don't think about. They do actually have different enzymes or different products or, or proteins, basically, that do different things. So there's a reason why, like, cats could potentially eat grapes and dogs can't. Um, they have different enzymes that break down different things. So with cats, like for some reason they can't eat lilies and we think that's because they have a different enzyme or something that makes a different product that might make it so that lilies are more toxic to them than anybody else. The other problem is, is that not all lilies are quite created equal for all cats. So like maybe with my cats, like let's say if I gave a lily to, I have three cats, so like let's say I gave a lily to Genesis, one of my cats, and I gave a lily to Beta, another one of my cats, and I gave them the exact same amount, you might have Genesis go into full kidney failure, and you might have Beta who doesn't go into kidney failure if I treated them the exact same way. Because maybe one of them made more of those toxins and one of them didn't. Um, we just don't know. That's one of the hard parts about these toxins is sometimes we just don't know how they make them. We don't know how much of that toxin they could have to get into to cause a problem. And we don't know, you know, how, how their body is going to react to these things. So this is one of those, those toxins that is, is weird like that. We know that it's going to cause a problem. We just don't know how much is going to cause a problem. We don't know what cats are going to be affected, like how affected they're going to be. Uh, we just know that it, it will affect them. And 
and every part of that plant is going to affect them. So what happens? Like I said, we think that what happens is they create this metabolite and it goes into the bloodstream and what the kidney does is it filters the bloodstream. So those toxins we think attach to the kidney and it basically makes the cat go into kidney failure. So it stops up the kidney so that it can't filter anymore and it makes that cat's kidneys not work. So initially what we'll see is those toxins building up. So their first clinical signs <clears throat> are gonna be vomiting. And that's kind of the body's way of being like, get this out of my system. Like, this is bad, I don't want it, it's terrible, get it out. So it's, they'll, they'll have like vomiting, they'll be lethargic, they'll be drooling, they don't really wanna eat. Like these are usually within the first couple of hours of that cat ingesting that lily. And then after that, it's gonna progress like in the next 12 to 24 hours. Like this is fast. Like think about this is like half a day to a day that it's gonna progress to signs of kidney failure. That is really quick. So those signs are gonna end up being things like them drinking a lot, peeing a lot, having clear, clear urine, uh, being really dehydrated, just really lethargic. And then almost to the end of that day, they could even progress to producing no urine whatsoever. And that is bad. That is a bad, bad prognosis when they are not producing any urine. That means their kidneys have pretty much shut down. They cannot work at that point. And then by 36 to 72 hours, so within three days, if that cat hasn't been treated, that means that cat is probably going to die. It probably will have died at that point. That is so fast for like ingesting, even just like putting their nose in a piece of pollen, like to go into kidney failure and die within three days. It's pretty crazy. So how do we, how do we diagnose this? There's no special tests for diagnosis for these things. You know, on, on all of these TV shows, we think about how you have, um, what is it? The, you know, the doctors who go and they're like, I'm going to run this special toxin test and it's going to tell us every toxin that you've ever been exposed to. You know, that's not really real life. You know, what usually happens is there's, there's no blood test that we can do for it to say like, this is the toxin that you are for sure exposed to. A lot of times it's that somebody saw the cat ingest it. They saw the cat vomited up. You know, they saw like a piece of vomit a piece of leaf or something in the vomit or maybe they saw that the cat's nose is yellow or orange and they realized that that cat got into some of that pollen you know it's usually the owners that had seen these things or sometimes it's like an indoor outdoor cat and they saw that the cat was just like really lethargic vomiting looks terrible they bring it in and we do blood work on them and we see that the cat has really elevated kidney values so when those kidney values are elevated, that's called azotemia. And the two kidney values that are elevated, those are called the BUN and the creatinine. Uh, there's also a third thing that we're looking for. It's called the urine specific gravity. That's telling us how clear the urine is. So the more that it looks like water, 
That's the lower the specific gravity is, or meaning the clearer it is. So the more that it looks like water, the worse that it is. Because that means that the kidneys are not able to concentrate. If that cat is really, really dehydrated, then their urine should be really dark yellow. Like think about after you've been in the desert for a long period of time, or you haven't been drinking, you've been out working in the sun all day, or you've been drinking a lot of alcohol and have not been drinking any water. Like think about how yellow your urine is after that. It is dark yellow, right? Now that cat is really dehydrated. It cannot keep up on its hydration. So its urine should be really dark yellow, but instead that cat's urine is more like clear. It's more like water, which it shouldn't be. And that's not good. And again, like that pretty much tells us that that cat is in kidney failure. So we're looking at those three big parameters. You know, is it azotemic, meaning it's a BUN and its creatinine are elevated? And also, does it have a low specific gravity, urine-specific gravity? All three of those things tell us that that cat is in kidney failure. And that's when we start asking questions like, is your cat indoor-outdoor? Because if it's indoor-outdoor, I mean, all bets are off. That cat could have gotten into anything. Then we start worrying about all kinds of toxins. You know, this could be ethylene glycol, or it could be lily toxicity, or it could be lots of different things. So it could be really anything. There's no test that's going to be able to tell us which one of those toxins it is. We just know it's one of those toxins that's going to affect the kidneys. And when it's those toxins that affect kidneys, that's called a nephrotoxicity. Nephro means kidneys and toxin. Toxicity obviously is toxin. So we just know it's a nephrotoxicity of some sort. And then otherwise, like, you know, we start asking the people, do you have lilies in your house? You know, do you have any bouquets of flowers in your house? Um, some people don't even know that they have lilies in their house. Then there's a lot of really interesting hybrids of lilies. So they they don't know that it's a lily. They they just know that it's a a plant of some sort because it doesn't look like a lily. But they have there's lots of crazy things that people are doing with flowers, and they can make hybrids of lilies. So it may not seem like it's a lily, uh, but it actually is a hybrid of a lily and still causes that toxicity in cats. So, you know, if we see that it's there, we start asking about plants. That's kind of the only way that we're able to diagnose is just knowing that there's a plant in the house and that cat has azotemia. And then what do we do to treat these cats? Ideally, if somebody calls in, Let's say we have a client call in and, you know, maybe Mariah picks up the phone and they say, hey, um, you know, we have this cat that we saw that there's a bunch of, of pollen on the face. Um, what do we do? You know, immediately she should tell them to wash the face because we want to get as much of that toxin off as possible. Like don't even rush them down first, immediately wash off their face, like get warm water and a washcloth, wash their face off quickly, and then rush them down quickly. Because as much, like if that pollen is on there, they're absorbing all of that pollen. So we want to try to get it off as much as possible. If it's on their face, if it's on their paws, we want to get it all off as much as possible. Even better, if they can 
put the cat in the in the car and have somebody like washing the cat while they're bringing the while somebody else is driving the cat down here even better but we want to try to get as much of that pollen off as possible while the cat is coming down here or before the cat comes down so we can try to get as much of that toxin off of the cat as possible if they call and they say my saw my cat vomit up a piece of this leaf you know have them bring them down immediately when they get here ideally we want to induce emesis so we want to make the cat vomit if anybody has ever tried to help us make the cat vomit it is so hard to do so with dogs we have this two great products that we can give them uh, one is called apple morphine and the other one is called clever drops and they're great 99 percent of the time we can make a dog vomit cats on the other hand man they have a mind of their own so we don't we can't use those same medications with them they don't work instead we usually use dextomator to try to get them to vomit and usually what happens is if we give them kitty magic which is our medication that we give to help sedate a cat it usually has dextomator and ketamine and buprenex those are three medications that we use to help sedation dextomator is a medication to help sedate ketamine usually helps sedate but it also makes it to where they can't really move and then buprenex is a pain medication we give all three of those together to help sedate them if we give that because we're trying to actually sedate them a good majority of the time they will end up vomiting because we don't want them to vomit but if you try to make a cat vomit because you want it to vomit it just will not vomit so we try to give them dextromatoria to get them to vomit but in 99 percent of the cases they will not vomit for us so ideally we want them to vomit but that isn't always the case and then after that if we can't make them vomit the next step is we're potentially going to give them charcoal that's also kind of debatable it depends on how amenable the cat is ideally if it's a really nice cat we are giving them charcoal so what charcoal does is it's this black like literally when you think about charcoal that you put on your grill um, that is essentially what it is in a liquid so it's what it does is it binds not even necessarily binds like it helps push through and make it to where your to where the intestines cannot absorb the rest of that toxin so it's kind of like covering it up and like hiding it so that your intestines don't notice that it's there so that it, you can't absorb it so not even doesn't doesn't necessarily bind it because really like toxins either are gonna like fat or they're gonna like water and charcoal is neither of those it's just like black gooey ickiness so really it's just kind of like hiding it and then i do usually tell people when we give charcoal like their cat or dog whoever we're giving it to is going to poop out black for a couple of days after we give the charcoal i always try to warn them warn them of that they get a little bit freaked out after they start like pooping black for a couple of days and then after that um, it's just giving them IV fluids. So we're putting them on fluids to try to help diurese, which means to flush out or to give fluids to, uh, for usually at least 48 hours. So we're giving them large amounts of fluids. So the goal of that is we're trying to push as much fluids out as possible from 
to put as much fluids into the vessels or into the bloodstream so we can put as much fluids into the kidneys as possible. That way, all of those toxins are kind of diluted out and are not able to attach to the kidneys. Because if we can't attach to the kidneys, then ideally, then we can't actually cause that kidney failure, right? And then we're also like helping with dehydration and we're already helping with all these other things that the cat is going through. Um, you know, like I said, 48 hours is ideal. So we're usually checking their blood work at 24 hours. So we're, sorry, let me back up. We're checking their blood work initially when they, when they get there. As long as everything is good, which is what we hope, then we're checking it at 24 hours as well. And hopefully everything is good then. And then we're checking it at 48 hours. And if everything is fine at that point, then we're usually releasing them to go home. And we usually will talk to them about having them come back one more time after they've been off of IV fluids for another 24 hours. So this is now 72 hours after they've come in. The reason why is because sometimes when they've been on this such high amounts of IV fluids, it can mask them actually having this kidney failure because we've like put so much fluids into them. It's not a common thing. It's a pretty rare thing, but it is something that can potentially happen. So we do talk, talk to them about potentially doing that, about having them come back in 24 hours, recheck that blood work one more time just to be certain that we're okay. And, and if they do, then fantastic. You know, they wouldn't kind of be like less worried about them having kidney problems. So if they've been fine at that, that 72 hour mark, you're good after that. They don't have to come back after that. Now, that isn't always the case. You know, sometimes maybe that person didn't come in after they saw that cat vomit, or maybe they didn't come in after they saw the cat got into the, the pollen, or maybe they just had no idea and they didn't, they didn't know that the cat got into anything. They didn't even know that the cat had vomited or they didn't know the cat was sick, you know, we just don't know. So it really depends on what happens, but this could get really bad. You know, if this hasn't been treated for 18 hours, then by 18 hours, if you were to check the blood work at that point, the cat most likely will have azotemia by then, and it will most likely be irreversible. Now at that point, could the cat potentially survive? Possibly, if we could get their kidney values down to it being something somewhat normal, or at least normal, what the cat's new normal will be, cats can survive with having kidney failure. It just depends on how bad it is. You know, sometimes they can be on just simply a kidney-friendly diet. Sometimes they have to get fluids under the skin or sub-Q fluids to help try to help them maintain for the rest of their life. But it depends on how bad those kidney values are. If they're so bad that they cannot function, then that's not a good prognosis. If they're not able to make urine, again, that's a terrible prognosis. That cat is not going to survive. So, but again, this is really variable for every cat. We just don't know. You know, another treatment option that people do have is they can do really aggressive treatment. It's something called hemodialysis. You, I'm sure you've seen places like this for people. It's the dialysis centers for people who have kidney disease. 
You, know, you have people who go in there, they get hooked up to a machine, and that machine filters out their blood. So it basically acts like a kidney outside of their body. So it filters out all of their blood, all of that waste product that they would normally have, and it's essentially just like giving them not, not giving them not giving them like new blood, but just giving them back waste-free blood. So that is an option, not an option at our hospital. And there's not even really an option, I think, at any of the especially hospitals that are near us. But I believe it is one, an option over at the um, college. So if somebody's like really gung-ho about doing that, that is an option. They do say, though, that you want to do it right after the cat had gotten into um, the lily. Like it's better knowing that they had just gotten into it. And putting them on dialysis at that point and not when they've gone into renal failure because, or kidney failure, because you just have a better outcome. But I mean, that's a really long drive for just knowing the cat got into kidney, you know, got into the lily and is not in kidney failure. So, but still a potential. Sometimes people will do dialysis in bigger cities. And then, you know, like I said, for just prognosis wise, if you have a cat who that 72 hours, or sorry, that 48 hours did really well on IV fluids, no changes in their blood work. We repeated their blood work at 72 hours. Everything looks fantastic. They got a great prognosis. They're most likely not going to go into kidney failure. Most likely didn't affect their kidneys. Everything should be fine. Versus that cat who maybe started to have some, some signs of kidney failure, but maybe we got it to just a level that is manageable for that cat, they're they're going to have damage to that kidney. It's something we can manage, but it's still going to be some damage to that kidney. And then you have those cats, like I said, that their kidney values are so high, we, we cannot bring them down. Or we've put them on IV fluids and they still cannot produce any urine. It has a terrible prognosis. Those cats, unfortunately, have to be put to sleep. It's for the best thing for them. Because if we keep putting fluids into that cat and that cat is not producing any urine, that those fluids have to go somewhere. And instead of going into the kidneys and into that bladder, it's actually just going to go into other body parts and other body cavities. So it's going to go into their abdomen it's going to go into their lungs and it's going to go into their heart. It's going to basically put them into multi-organ failure. And that's terrible. It's terrible for the cat. It's just, it's gut-wrenching. They don't want to do that. It's very painful. Um, so it's better for the cat. Like if they don't produce urine, I'm usually talking to the owners within the first couple of hours. Like I will try one medication. It's called furosemide or Lasix. Um, sometimes you'll see me give that injection just one time after giving fluids and if they do not produce any urine i'm calling the owner and telling them this is a terrible prognosis you know for the best thing for this cat is to put them to sleep but you know luckily in the majority of our situations the majority of our cats do just fine when they've been caught really early so i talked to really about the fact that not all cats or sorry not all lilies actually cause kidney failure. There are other lilies that cause other weird things. So uh, these are usually not like the true lilies. 
There's also Lily of the Valley. Um, that usually causes like heart problems. And this does cause heart problems like in cats and dogs, but technically not in dogs. So, like in a dog, it'd have to cause, they'd have to eat a lot of it. Like they'd have to ingest a ton of wood to be able to cause this. So yes, it can cause it in a dog, but just like, not really. Like they just have to, like they'd have to ingest like, like half of a tree to do this. Okay. So usually not as big of a problem in dogs. It does cause more of a problem like in goats and other things, but not, not in dogs. So, but in cats, but Lily of the Valley can cause heart problems. What it does is it can cause an arrhythmia. So it causes an irregular rhythm of the heart, which can lead to weird things. So it leads to like low blood pressure. It can lead to seizures and it can lead to a coma. You also have the Gloria Lily. Uh, that's another weird one. This one affects both dogs and cats. And this one actually leads to like multi-organ failure in both dogs and cats. It's actually not a common lily around here. Like it's just not a common lily at all, which is great because it's terrible, right? Just leads to like all of their organs failing. Not a good lily. And then calla lilies and peace lilies, they both do the same thing and they're super interesting. So what they do is if you bite down on them, they, they have these crystals in them. They're calcium oxalate crystals. And as soon as they bite down on them, these crystals like explode and it irritates the mouth. It like, you'll see them just like rubbing at their mouth like crazy because it's super irritating in their mouth. It'll irritate their mouth and their tongue and their throat and their esophagus. And it's just like, they just pot their face like crazy. They'll drool. Um, sometimes you'll see them like vomit or they'll have diarrhea. And in weird cases, they'll have like swelling of their mouth. Not a common thing, but, but like, again, you know, sometimes you'll see like swelling of the mouth. I think a lot of it is more like due to the irritation and stuff, but but sometimes you'll see that swelling. But when you see those dogs and stuff that come in that have just have like excessive drooling from the face, this could be from one of those reasons from like having from chewed on a calla lily or a peace lily. And then the last weird lily is called a Peruvian lily. And these are like the mildest lilies. They do like almost nothing. They just call like cause like very, very mild vomiting and diarrhea. So they're, they're really low on our list of, of, uh, problematic lilies. And you know what the worst part about this? So you realize like how many cats are called Lily? Like, why do you call your cat Lily? It's, it's, it's like a death sentence for the cat. Anyways. So I'm going to be gone on a conference this coming, this next coming week. But I am, when I come back, I'm going to attempt to do my first interview. So I'm going to try to interview, um, one of, uh, one of the staff members. I'm going to try to end up doing the financial interview for next week. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if I can get everything set up. If not, I'll do one of the other, uh, topics, but uh, trust me, I got lots of them. But like I said, if anybody has any suggestions, email me. I'm happy to do any uh, recommendations you guys have, obviously, I've done a couple of them so far. I was going to share my story with you here. So I was going to share my story about how I got my rooster. So we had 
had a couple of our chickens that were attacked by our Cooper's hawks. So we have Cooper hawks that we love having on this property. They come in every year. They have little nests that they build all over our property. We always have little Cooper hawk chicks that come in. Half the time they come over pretty close to our house. We got to watch them uh, learn how to fly and learn how to hunt and stuff. But then we got chickens and then they started attacking our chickens. So at first it was just the small chickens and it wasn't a huge deal. I was like, eh, circle of life. I get it, you know, but then they attacked my, my big chicken who she was the best egg laying chicken that we had had. She'd produce like sometimes two eggs a day, but always produced an egg. She was great. So this Cooper Hawk, like, I was standing right next to this chicken, and this Cooper Hawk came down and attacked her and killed her instantly. And she was three times the size of this Cooper Hawk. And I was like, holy shit, this is not good. Like, apparently we can't have these chickens be free-range chickens anymore. So instead, uh, my wife had decided that she felt like we needed a rooster and this whole time we've had chickens i was like no we are not getting a rooster i do not want a rooster and my wife was like no we need to get a rooster now so that they can still free range and we can feel like they are safe so she went on she went on this website that was that gives away roosters and she had asked me to go pick up this rooster she said it's a baby so you need to drive down to Lacey. Here's the address because she had to work. She said, here's the address. Pick him up at this time. I was like, well, how big is this rooster? She said, it's a baby. So you just need a, a cat carrier. I was like, okay, like this is just a regular rooster. She's like, yeah, just a little baby rooster. I was like, oh, all right, fine. I mean, at this point, I felt bad that we've had our chickens die. So I was like, all right. So I take the kids over to, to, um, the trampoline place where I actually saw Ashley while I was at the trampoline place and I lost my phone while I was at the trampoline place while I tried to do a front flip into the, uh, like this little foam pit thing. And then Abigail had to go find my phone for me. It was quite a mess. But then I went to this lady's house to go pick up this, this rooster that I'm supposed to get. Right. And I asked the lady, well, will he fit in this little cat carrier? Because it was a small cat carrier that I had. And she was like, oh, yeah, he'll definitely fit. I was like, okay. And so do you want me to go with you to help him help you get him from her backyard? And she's like, oh, no, I'll get him. He's he's fine. He's very small. And I was like, how big is this rooster? Like, how does she know he's a rooster? They, they got to be a little bit bigger to know he's a rooster. She's like, no, no, he's real small. I'll get him. I said, okay. And so she brings him out. And it's a silky. If anybody knows what a silky is, those are those really fluffy, little, tiny chickens. Okay. So she brings out this silky, fluffy rooster. And I was like, does my wife know that he's a silky? And she says, oh, yeah, your wife knows. I was like, hmm. Okay, sounds great. <laughs> so I put the rooster into the cat carrier and I drive home and I take a picture of him 
And I sent it to my wife and I said, did you know that he was a silky? And I sent him a picture, sent her a picture and she sends me, or she sends me a text message back and she says, I didn't know what a silky was. I was like, ah, yes. Now I see what the problem is. Well, this is a silky. And then she, when she came home, like saw just like how small he was and thought that she might even have to keep him as an indoor chicken or an indoor rooster because she was like, well, he can't, he can't protect our flock. He's so tiny. I was like, I know. I don't know what our plan is going to be because he is half the size of all of our chickens. And so for, for a couple, I'd say for like a month, I think, she had planned to keep him as an indoor rooster. Like she had bought pants for him because she was convinced that he was going to be like just this, this rooster that just like walked around our house and was going to hang out with our dogs. I already knew this was not going to happen, but she was convinced. And then, then luckily we had gotten some new chicks and we put them, put him in with the new chicks so that he would like bond with them and want to protect them. And luckily that worked out. And now he was, lives outside with the new chicks and, you know, somewhat protects them. He crows and stuff and pretends like he's really, he's really big and bad. Um, and luckily all my neighbors really like him, which is great. They think it's hilarious when they see him. My neighbors came over to, one of my neighbors came over today and he's like, did you get a rooster? Like, I keep hearing a rooster over here, but I don't see a rooster. And I was like, oh, yes. Do you see that little half pint over there? Uh, that's the rooster. That's him. Yep. That's the big scary rooster over there. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, thank you again, guys. And uh, hopefully, like I said, I will hopefully be able to get a guest on for next week. Thanks.